And we're live. Let me uh, throw the intro up there. And we are live with uh, Zawid from Endemocracy and Hoppian.org. Zawid, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Caleb. Thanks for coming on. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be fun. We're gonna talk about democracy, the god that failed. Talk about why the left sucks, paleo stuff. It's gonna be great. Awesome, sounds great. So, so uh, hopping that all. I gotta say, uh, I love the artwork and the style, of the synth wave, like hoppy and stuff. Oh I yeah, love it. It is. Yeah, so back back in the day, it was like back back. I think when um. Hoppe had first started gaining more popularity with the right. And before there were all the purges on social media, it was, it was just starting to come into favor. So we thought, well, I, I really like the style too. So let's capitalize on it. Yeah, it's, it's great. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say a link real quick for the, uh, that were live on Twitter and then we can, uh, if you, I got a few questions about paleo stuff and talking to the right. Let's see here. Um, We are there. We go. Okay. Um. All right. Where's that coming from? I got sound coming from one of the. There it is. I have so many tabs open right now. I had like sound coming from one of them, and I couldn't figure out which one it was. <laughs> it was a uh, we covered it because he's going live with Pete right now, and I'm. It's like, oh, we got to go live with Pete, right? When I'm going live, <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna watch this one with Pete over there. <laughs> mm. Um, you, so yeah, go ahead. I'm just gonna retweet you real quick to oh. so we can maybe bring some people in. Sounds good. Sounds good. Thank you. Cool. Um, yeah, so paleo stuff. Like, I'm, I've recently hopped on this whole uh paleo train and kind of going more right wing. I mean, I never really was left. The most left I was, was open borders for like a month. <laughs> um, I, I said it was a libertarian position. I didn't know you could be a, a closed borders libertarian until like I saw Lou Walker and Dave Smith. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I don't have to be stupid now. I can, I can do that. So yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't have to adhere, like uh, adhere to the, uh, the, uh, I guess the ether of libertarian opinion for quite a long time that you have to be an open borders guy to be a libertarian. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I have friends who open border types, and I, I don't even talk about it with them. I, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I think it's an important topic, but right now, like, like there's, there's two views, and I'm sympathetic to the view that, hey, this isn't important right now because it's, you know, it, it's not a big a threat as these lockdowns and mandates and things like that. I agree that the lockdowns and mandates are pr probably, if not the most important thing to talk about right now. I think, however, that there is still uh, a problem in the larger sphere of, of, of politics in the world where the, the border crises around the world are definitely, uh, if not the top item besides that. Um, and the reason that I say that is because I think a lot of libertarians mistakenly believe that uh, Hey, I've got to believe in the in the in the uh, in the government straight up saying, "Hey, uh, open the borders and let anybody come in and everybody go out, whoever they want." While the government's stealing from us to provide for the people that they're that are coming in and that uh, 
ultimately are violating our property rights and the government. It's, it's like the question that I posed on Twitter a while back was, if someone steals your bike, should everyone get a ride? Mm. And the answer is obviously no. The answer yeah. is clearly no. So when the government takes over property and that has legitimately all across the country, I mean, if you look at the interstate highway system that was entirely built through eminent domain and the theft of property, um, the, the sidewalks and things like that, those are clearly uh, misappropriated from either business owners or people who previously own that area. The roads entirely, I hate roads. Like it's a joke that uh, libertarians hate roads, but I legitimately do because they are, um, the means in which the government can force us to uh, associate and prevent us from disassociating. And the right of free association and of disassociation is really important. So when you have, uh, when, when you have that happen, it, it, it's pretty clear to me that we can oppose that uh, like at every step of the way. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, too, that uh, Hoppe's net taxpayer argument is a, is a good argument. I mean, in the interim, if you can't identify um, or you can't achieve the goal that you want to achieve right now, which is clearly private borders where there, there are private roads and private sidewalks and you pay to use them, people are free to discriminate and do what, what have you with them. I think in the absence of that, it's, it's perfectly legitimate and it's a, it's a very good argument to say, Hey, the people that are paying the most taxes to, to keep these things up, especially the, you know, when you're, when you're talking about roads and things, those are local communities that are paying for that, right? Through, Mm -hmm. through state taxes or tobacco taxes or what have you, depending on the state and the area. But, um, I think it's totally reasonable to say that those people should get a bigger say than someone from thousands of miles away. Um, It it just seems like common sense. Yeah, it is not immediate follow that because the government made a park, you can shoot heroin up in the park. You know, it doesn't. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, So you talk a lot about going at the right from the right. Oh yeah, and I'm I'm a big fan of that. I I I talk to I don't talk to people on the left. I talk people on the right because they have value. You know, like, like Tom Woods, the left libertarians have no value as people. I think all the left has no value as people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so when it comes, like, but sadly, not everyone who identifies as right wing is right wing. Oh no, definitely like, not. Like so, the, what's in your opinion? How do you determine what kind of right wing people are actually right wing? Because like, the what's the Kirk uh, Bu- uh, Buckleyite types are oh, not right wing to me. No, that it was kind of conservative. <laughs> no, the 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 Buckleyites are you know that they're dupes because Buckley was a CIA agent. But um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it look if you're going to to talk about what it is to be right wing, you have to understand what it is to be right wing, and it's not a, a a vague amalgamation of political positions. It's a it's a very distinct thing. It, it is whether or not you believe in hierarchical order. Do you believe in hierarchical order or do you believe in equality? If you believe in equality, you are a leftist. It doesn't matter what political label you put on yourself. If you believe in equality, you are left wing. If you believe in hierarchical order, then you are right wing. If you try and amalgamate those two or mix them together, you're dumb. Um, You can't. I I mean, fundamentally, ultimately, if you mix um, if you mix true natural order, hierarchical order, with egalitarianism, you get egalitarianism. It's not some mix of them. One is parasitic and one is not parasitic. 
So, so if, if you're talking to a right winger or a supposed right winger and you say, do you believe in equality? You can come at them very easily, very easily, especially if you're a libertarian from the right and say, no, you're not a right winger. You're, you're a milk toast leftist. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I believe in, oh, well, then they say, well, not a quality of uh, outcome, a quality of opportunity. Uh, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. We're all born differently into different circumstances and trying to level those will ultimately create the same thing. So so don't let them get away with that, number one. And then number two, they're like, well, I believe in, you know, certain types of equality and the equality here and not equality there and equality here and not equality there. Well, at the end of the day, you're just justifying subverting one order that you may not like. And that that's not hierarchical order. You're you're picking and choosing. You're acting you're acting like a leftist in those positions. And ultimately, when you when you do that and you come at them from that perspective, they they either wake up and they want to read more, or they end up going further left, which is great for us. Mm-hmm. Stay away from our right wing positions. In yeah. my opinion, libertarianism is the most right wing philosophy because it totally embraces the, the the natural order. It totally embraces hierarchy. Mm-hmm. It says. You know, hey, if you look at economics, what is the most hierarchical thing you can think of in economics? Well, uh, how about the division of labor and free exchange of goods? Um, the the fact that we're all the, that there is inequality in everything and inequality creates trade. Um, how about the fact that uh, if we're going to exchange ownership and property, you're saying you have order, you have hierarchy over the property that you've created. And ultimately, you have hierarchy over your own life. Right. Mm-hmm. So. The, there is no further right wing position than to be a libertarian. And when leftists come at you and say, well, you're just a right winger who likes to smoke weed. First off, I don't like to smoke weed, but yes, I am a right winger. You're hundred <laughs> percent right. Yeah. What do you think is more value talking to the uh, conservatives who are open to these ideas and the uh, actual right wing or talking to libertarians about this kind of thing? So I think that there's value in both. Um, I think that if a libertarian hasn't been totally duped um, by, you know, and I guess this criticism can apply to both. You know, if a, if a libertarian hasn't been totally duped by the the blogosphere, Facebook libertarians who are, you know, marching in gay pride parades and smoking weed every day, you know, and, and talking about how they, they we should be able to give kids heroin, then... If, if they haven't been sucked into that, then yeah, they're way open to it. I've had a lot of people that were straight up afraid to come out as, as right wing that said, you know, told me, thank you for being this person that says this because now I feel like my positions aren't in contradiction all the time. Like I usually just, you know, be quiet or I won't, I won't talk about these things or, or, you know, I just kind of let them get away with it because they just call me unprincipled. Well, you're not unprincipled. They're unprincipled because they don't understand what the, what libertarianism is, right? So, I, I, and but again, you can level that same criticism against the right if if they are not duped into being a neocon or or you know mm-hmm. these kind of progressive conservatives. Um, if they're your everyday MAGA libertarians who are like, you know. Oh, you know, we need to go back to the founding fathers. We need to look at, you know, how our country was founded. We need to get away from all this BS. We, you know, mm-hmm. screw the politicians, screw, you know, <laughs> and ultimately screw democracy. You know, like, you know, we just need to do what's right. You know, those people are really open to the message, extremely yeah. open. I, I, I mean, 
the the only pushback that I think I've gotten from the right is mostly from a left wing position. Um, mm-hmm. You know, th- there's there's some out there who can take an argument with libertarianism and they do it pretty well. I always seem to be able to shut them down one way or another. But those people are very few and far between. Most of the mm-hmm. people aren't going to be that well read. Number one and number two, if they're not well read. Um, they're, you know, you can come at them from the, you're holding leftist positions perspective. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, a little self promotion here. I have Thomas uh, DeLorenzo coming on the podcast probably next month. And one thing I'm going to do. Yeah. I, I'm super excited. One thing I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to read some TradCon tweets that force up Hamilton and Henry Clay. Nice. You know, the party of Lincoln types. There's a guy on Twitter, the classical conservative, he calls himself, mm-hmm. and he'll quote Henry Clay and Hamilton like this: is the Bible. Oh my God! Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna convince him to get back get on Twitter. That's my goal. I want to convince Delawinza to get on Twitter. Oh yeah, he needs to come back, man. I yeah. like I want I want to see him post some Southerner memes like that. Yes. That would make my life. Uh, yeah. Did Did you see uh, Did you see him talking about? Um, <laughs> Like uh, uh, Clyde Wilson and uh, the 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 Yankee problem in America, uh, I think I think that was during um, I think that was during the last Mises U event, and I just busted up laughing. I was like, you know, this is what we need. We just need to be honest about this crap. You know, like we're we're not we're not Lincolnites. You know, like we're not going to cede that position just because it's easy. I'm a Southerner. I, I support, I, you know, I support secession. I support the, the independent uh, view that we, we can go out and we can do these types of things. I, I, I support the, the war for Southern independence. I mean, Murray Rothbard supported that. Hoppe mm-hmm. supports that. How, how, when on earth did, you know, libertarians on our side, you know, take up the, the mantle of Lincoln uh, I've been so pleased recently with how much positive reception that I've, I've gotten in the last year, uh, posting things about the South and, and the civil war and things like that. But previously before that it was really hard. There were a lot of people and conservatives are the worst for that. They really are. They, they are, they are totally duped by the cult of Lincoln. And, uh, oh, man, it's, so, it, it's so, so, it's so, it's so bad. It's like, the dude was a communist, like yes. in and in and out. He was a freaking communist, and you're and you're doing it because he founded a political party. Like you're not principled. You're just stupid. Yes, I uh, I was I was arguing that the classical conservative dude, and I um, he said uh, Lincoln was a good president, and re- Republicans need to return to American school economics and protectionism and uh, nationalism. Oh god! And I uh, put a, I put the lecture from Thomas De Lorenzo about uh, the curse of economic nationalism, and he said. Um, didn't that guy call Lincoln a Hitler? Yeah. I, said, Hitler I said Hitler was an economic nationalist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, like, but look, the the way that I look, that a way that I look at a lot of this stuff is like, it quote unquote economic nationalism isn't really nationalism. It it ultimately leads to um, a degeneration of the nation you're trying to protect. So how, in what way is that nationalism? You're not doing anything that's promoting the nation. You're just promoting a few, a group of few people who will know these decisions before they're going to be made and end up profiting off of them. That that's it. Mm-hmm. That you're, you're essentially becoming the exact people that are in power now. Like, so you, you don't really care about anything. You don't care about freedom. You don't care about the nation. You just care about self enrichment. Well, then you're a fucking leftist. Sorry, I don't know if I can curse on this, but uh, it's fine. It is it is a Catholic libertarian, so but I I can't help myself either. It's a terrible I, habit I picked. Up. I, I apologize. I apologize. It's all good. 
It's all good. I have a guy. If it gets real bad, I have a guy to edit stuff. Uh, Base Topian on Twitter. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Edit he edited. He's... I had a I had Scott Holton on talk about Star Wars and. Scott, when Scott, I found out the Catholic pod, he's like, oh, can you have someone leap, leap all this curse word? I'm like, yeah, I, I think I can get a guy. That's awesome. So, <coughs> Excuse me. I'm just getting up a COVID. I still got a cough. Oh, oh, you mean you're not dead? I, I know, I heard, right? I, I, heard, I heard that you die from that all the time. Like, yeah. well, I, I heard, I, that's I a death sentence. <laughs> I love that I got COVID because I get to argue with people on Facebook about who did get COVID, you know? Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. like, I haven't been to, I, uh, they say they post about, uh, about COVID and stuff and they'll say like, I got COVID and it was terrible. Like I got it too. It wasn't that bad. Like, <laughs> yeah. well, you were one of the lucky ones. I ended up in the hospital. I'm like, damn, you sound like a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> they just, they I, lose I, their I, mind. Like I, I, I'm pretty sure like as to many public things that I've been to and I've, I flew in planes. I flew to Europe. I was around a bunch of people in Europe. I came back. The only thing that I got during that entire time was food poisoning um, and not COVID. And I'm, I'm having, I, I don't think that um, I, if I got it, I, it was so mild that I didn't even know that I knew, no, I didn't even knew that I have it. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, that's not to say some people aren't, you know, having a hard time with it but from what i understand it's mostly old people like like i get it like if you're an old man and you want to wear a mask and you know even maybe go get the vaccine even though i probably wouldn't recommend that um you know i can kind of understand that more but if you're in your 20s or 30s or you know if it's are younger then why why the hell are you why the hell are we not only why the hell are we putting up with this but why the hell are you uh capitulating to that narrative it's crazy it's it's I, I COVID stuff. I, I can't get. I I I get so upset thinking about it. Honestly. Oh like yeah. The, the left's evil about all of it, and then the right's oh, like yeah. buying into it. It's just oh, even well, when you get a guy conservative who's against it, you're just like you're against it for the wrong reasons, and you're oh yeah, make it look worse. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, like I, trust me. Like I like I love Alex Jones. I think Alex Jones mm-hmm. is a national treasure. I, I like. I, I've listened to Alex Jones for years. I think he's a great dude. But when you go like Alex has a terrible habit of taking really true facts because he's right almost all the time. Like he legitimately is, but he has a terrible habit of taking things and sensationalizing them or changing them slightly to the point where it sounds totally crazy. And then people Mm -hmm. are like immediately dismiss it. And I think that some of the people on the right tend to do that stuff too. And they'll make shit up. Like you don't have to do that. Like there's a lot of shit that's happening right now. Don't do that. You're hurting us. You know, like you're hurting this message because there's a lot of like, like look at Australia. You don't have to make anything up. It's a freaking police state and they're putting Mm -hmm. people in camps. Like it's legitimately happening. Like it uh, just aggravates me. Yeah. Well, before I get into the book, one more uh, thing about COVID you can't, you can't get COVID if you never get tested. So that's that's my advice. Let's let's get into the book. So Democracy, the God that Failed by Hans Hermann Hoppe. Uh, Incredible book. Jared, why is democracy (laughs) quins? Well, I would say that it is the uh, right now. It is obviously our current reality. And I think, in my opinion, it is on the downward slope of the decivilizational process. I think that um, over time, uh, even though that humanity has uh, ultimately benefited from uh, our progress, 
uh, I think we've benefited from the progress as a not as a result of uh, democracy, but in spite of it. I think that ultimately, uh, as Hoppe states, that uh, if we had embraced and retained traditional monarchy, that we would be infinitely richer than we are now. And we'd probably be colonizing space for the king. I mean, I, I think that that would it's no no bounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, like it's so it's a Warhammer scene. I mean, that's basically mm-hmm. what what we'd be looking at. And I, I think that even further <laughs> that if we had um, not left the feudal system, but instead incorporated serfs into the division of labor, that mm-hmm. ultimately we'd be even richer than that. I mean, we may have very well reached a point of transcending physical form. I mean, like it, it would have been it's like, we would have been so far along the curve that it, it, it's hard to imagine what we would look like right now. But instead we've embraced this terrible idea that democracy is somehow good. Um, when in fact it's, it's totally destroyed, not only our wealth um, or our potential wealth. Um, it has limited human progress to the point that uh we're stagnating and eventually you're going to see it collapse. Yes. So why is monarchy based? <laughs> so I, I ultimately I say that, um, you know, after world war one, you saw uh, our descent into democracy or at least full democracy. I know there were democracies before that guys that are listening to this. I, I understand that there were definitely <laughs> democracies before that point. However, that is the point in which the traditional monarchical order, or at least, you know, the 50-50 or the 20-80 mark had been passed, and it had been totally replaced with democracy at that point. I mean, the old monarchies were gone, and yes, I know that there are still monarchies out there, but they're really not. They're just yeah. show monarchies that are really just parliamentary democracies. That's all they are. They're not, they're not really... Like, if the queen stepped forward and was like, hey... um, we're not doing any more war and and screw parliament. There wouldn't be a monarchy in the UK anymore. Like it it wouldn't happen. Right. Like it just wouldn't happen. And not that she would do that anyway. She's a a corrupt, you know, Democrat in her own mind. Anyway, she's just the ultimate beneficiary of, of uh, the democratic order. But anyway, Mm -hmm. so I think that, um, (coughs) you know, that that's the point in which, uh, Private, more private governance was replaced with more public government governance mm-hmm. completely. So, um, monarchy itself, um, if you look at it, like, let me ask you this question here. We can form it like this If I give you a house and you own it, what condition do you think that house is going to be in in 10 years versus if I were to just say, I need you to take care of this house for four years. Do you think you would take better care of it for the long term because you're going to live there and it's yours and maybe you want to sell it and incur the profit or give it to your kids or something like that versus you just being the temporary caretaker of it? Yeah, clear. Clearly, uh, you're going to take better care of it if it's yours. And this this goes to common economic principles we talk about all the time, which is the tragedy of the commons. Right. And that's really what democracy is. It's putting governments in the hand uh, or in the commons. Right. And it's it, it, it. I've, I've been told that the tragedy of the commons is not a weird thing by my political science teacher. 
<laughs> oh my god uh yeah i i i mean clearly uh throughout history if uh and in our personal lives too you know like when you own something you have better control over it um you you take better care of it you try and um, make sure that it sticks around until you've capitalized on it to to the maximum point in which you die and pass it on to your kids or, or you're, you know, are you stupid? And there are, there are definitely low time preference or high time preference people out there that don't, uh, don't understand ownership as well. And this is why we have problems with loans and things like that in 2008 and all that, they did, that that's how all that came to be. But if, um, basically if you're a democratic caretaker, uh, if you're a politician, right. And you're trying to become president, what is that president more likely to do? Increase his temporary political power, the things that he wants to get accomplished in a short time and, and look good and make connections and friends and gain wealth and personal enrichment for himself? Or is he going to make the, the, the country in which he's lording over the temporary caretaker of better for the long run and make the hard decisions. Clearly he's going to yeah. do the former, right? Whereas the King, if it's his, right. And this is like, if it's a hereditary monarchy and I'm wanting to keep control of this and I'm wanting to make sure that I have a legacy and things get passed on to my kids and then I retain the monarchy and then I retain the power from my family and, and my, my quote unquote private governance, then obviously I'm going to make decisions that are much more high time preference and will benefit the, the, the country in the long term. This is why we, you know, we, when, when Hoppe says that monarchy is infinitely better than democracy, this is why, because ultimately the decisions that are made uh, via time preference are, are better. So as a result, mm -hmm. you get better results. Now, not only that, not only the time preference and, and the, uh, the decisions that are made by the uh, Democrats are ultimately terrible, but also mm -hmm. you have um, uh, a single person, so to speak, to wring their neck, right? Like the, yeah. the, you could have that, a revolt. Go ahead. That's what actually got me uh, first thinking about monarchy is I saw a Hopper speaks. I actually wrote Hopper off during that, like one month where I was like, like left libertarian middle ground kind of guy. Mm -hmm. I saw a, a thread on Reddit about Hopper and I left this philo bad philosophy Reddit. So all these leftists were just freaking out about Hopper. So I wrote him <laughs> off like an idiot. And then I uh, I saw one lecture of him when he said, in democracy, sorry, in monarchy, king may be bad guy. In democracy, all bad. Yeah, <laughs> you know? That's true, though. I mean, like, it, it is. It is. Yeah, it's, like, it's, in a monarchy, if king's bad, families are allowed to make him head sorter. Like, it's, yeah. it's, I heard that, like, hey, conflict resolution is better under monarchy because it's one group of people. Yeah. You know, absolutely. he's right. He's absolutely right. I mean, if you look, if you look at it from the perspective of, um, like, like, say, a, uh, like, even looking now and in the past, right? Like, uh, it, uh, the uh, the founding fathers under the king are ultimately much freer then than they were than they are today under a democracy. And people will say, "Well, it's a different time, and you can't really compare those things." Well, I think you can because if you look at democracies during that time, they were ultimately not as free as a lot of the monarchies, and you can directly compare them and, and see that. Uh, Ultimately, that uh, you know, the king was trying to make good decisions. Not, not, not that king in particular. Um, mm -hmm. That that King George wasn't exactly the best king that uh, that the that England ever had. But ultimately, as a as a uh, as a uh, uh, 
a, a total uh, perspective and a total view, uh, monarchies themselves ultimately make better decisions and democracies make worse decisions. And that, that's all due to incentives. If you want some evidence of this, look at the tax rate increase during under an, monarchy and wasn't a democracy. Yeah. Look at the, the tax. Like, you can lead, by the numbers, you could see like it was you were you were giving up less of your money under monarchy than democracy by the numbers. Yep. I mean, I mean, you can like <laughs> you know, as as much as I like to rag on France, fr France for a long time. You know that they, they proved the fact that you can you can hold a king responsible, right? I mean, look at all the revolts and the, and the things that they had over over the years. I mean, it was clearly much uh, much more the case that they were able to hold them more accountable than we are today because you don't have um, the the legitimation problem that we have. And when you look at um, the the state as it is now under democracy, you have a lot of politicians and everybody thinks that they have a say. Their vote gives them some kind of say. And then ultimately, uh, when I go and vote, even if I don't win, you know, it's, it's not going to be forever and we can fix it the next go around. But ultimately, you don't have the time to fix anything. The, the, the problem's already come to pass and it will continue to come to pass. Like, look, look at the debt ceiling, right? Like, you you have uh, a uh, every time that a Republican gets elected, they always raise this debt ceiling uh, under democracies mm -hmm. in peacetime and wartime. You you get raised taxes, you get raised um, spending and things like that under monarchy, uh, especially the older versions of monarchy. Uh, the king would have to go around with a campaign and like mm -hmm. and trying to elicit funds from people because he knew that he couldn't do it without support. Right. Yeah. And, and it was it's, hard it's for him. That chapter on like on war under democracy versus monarchy blew my mind. Oh like, yeah, it was, oh, it was amazing. It was before we get more into it. I gotta do a little plug of my own stuff real quick. Go right. Um, you know what sucks, guys? Money. Money. It's cumbersome. It's terrible. It's all. It's all controlled by the government. I want a great service where you can send me your money, and I give it to people who walk out of their cars and walk out of hotel rooms, mainly women in Florida. I provide them with all the stuff they need for their job. And so, if you want to give me your money. Just DM me, and you can come and buy this Democracy is Quinn's hoodie. Yes, this great, beautiful hoodie. Democracy is Quinn's, bro. So if you that. want to get rid of your money and help uh, provide jobs and work for women who are, women of the night who work on the streets, my DMs are open. You can contact me. I will. They will get the finest time of the 30 seconds, finest 30 seconds of their life. So <laughs> please DM me, and I will provide them with great – give me your money. Okay. <laughs> Cool. Uh, uh, so I, I want I want to read this comment um, that Art Gaha <laughs> Randon posted. Okay, you need to make your name simpler, dude. I'm I'm stupid. You can't let me make me read that kind of huge name. But anyway, he says a monarch cares about their kingdom. The democratic politicians are the managerial class who who is managing the decline. That's absolutely a fact. They're they're literally just managing the 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 uh, the descent uh, of what's happening. That's all they're doing is they're they're trying to uh, bring uh, I, I guess their semblance of order to chaos, and ultimately that they're never going to be successful in doing so. Um, that's not to say that 
you know, as a strategy, politics can't work. I mean, we've seen it work in, in many different ways, especially with gun rights and things like that. But ultimately, if we're looking at the large picture, it is a failure, right? It is an absolute yep. failure because like we've been talking about, ultimately they can't do anything and they're only there for self-enrichment. So they're going to make decisions that help them in the short term and don't and hurt the country in the long term. We're mm -hmm. passing on this uh, debt to the future because who cares about them? Whereas we're the king- In the long run, we're all dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and the king, him, him, himself is looking at that. The king says, hey, these are my kids. This is my mm -hmm. family. I'm not going to screw them and let them die when I'm gone. Right. So yeah. ultimately, they end up making better decisions. And I, and people are like, you know, Hoppe is a monarchist. Hoppe is a monarchist. Like, clearly, these people have never read the book. Like, yeah. if you believe that you've never read the book, because like the entire, the, the, he says it, I think three different times that the natural order is superior in every way to both monarchy and democracy, mm -hmm. because you end up not, you not only have the benefits of monarchy, but that those benefits are distributed, right? Because then you have different competing orders that, that ultimately allow you to have different, different subsections and you don't have this, um, I guess, grand unified um, centralized order, right? It's all decentralized. And then ultimately that's much better than monarchy. But if we're going to rate things in an order, it's clearly the natural order, then monarchy, then democracy. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can expand that. You could say, okay, well, you have the natural order, then you have the, the feudal order, then you have the uh, absolute king, then you have the constitutional king below him, then you have republicanism, and then you have democracy, and then finally you have uh, some degenerated form of, of democratic despotism, right? So, I mean, you can expand that out, but ultimately it's those three things. Hmm. Now, one of the things about um, the monarchy that I, I found appealing was the idea that Princes, a prince is raised with the goal of leading. You know, he's not, oh, yeah. not only the king's responsibility, the prince is raised, hey, you're going to lead from birth. They don't know from birth. You're going to lead. We're going to train you. We're going to teach you. You're going to be provided with all the necessary resources. While in democracy, anyone can just run for office and you can be stuck with someone. You know, I yeah. can run for mayor and they'd be stuck with me, my city decisions. Oh, yeah. Like, it, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. It's terrible. I mean, the, <laughs> the, the, uh, what did Mencken say? What was his quote? I have a hard time remembering it sometimes, but it's, it's basically like democracy is the, um, what, oh God, I can't remember. It, it's a brilliant quote. I want to, I want to find that real quick. He pops actually. up in a lot. I'm reading, uh, Betrayal of the American Wife by Mary Rothbard, and he pops up a lot in Hopper's work and in, um, Wasbard's work, but he was he was great. Oh yeah, M Minkin is is wonderful. I mean, I, I really view him to me as um, kind of the starting point of American libertarianism. And and uh, we can get into this topic because I've got some strong opinions on 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 uh, on libertarianism and its order and and how it came about and all of that. But you know, he's a he's a. Uh, I, Tim Minkin and Nock were really, to me, the the uh, genesis of American libertarianism, and I think people would do well to understand why and how Rothbard talks about him all the time, and how much uh, Rothbard was influenced by him. Uh, I, I found the quote. He says, "Democracy is the pathetic belief in the collective wi wisdom of individual ignorance." Right. So <laughs> I, I love that. that, that 
That is a good quote. Yeah, it's wonderful. And ultimately, you know, you, I keep saying ultimately. Sorry about that. Uh, you know, you have a um, like you were saying when you have just anybody that's able to come into power and gain those types of things simply by a, a popularity contest and not necessarily credentials or the fact that they've worked and saved and and done all of that. Um, you have a um, you end up with the lowest common denominator, the people that are ultimately out just to um, destroy you. Uh, they, they don't care anything about you. Um, the king, you know, I'm not saying the king is always going to be benevolent or kind or, mm -hmm. or um, you know, perfect or anything like that. But ultimately, he's going to care a lot more about his subjects than any yeah. president, any president, because mm -hmm. he knows without those people, he knows without them that he has nothing. He has nothing. And and the state will go on. The state will go on if if you know half of America is destroyed, right? Then nobody's gonna say, oh well, you know, screw screw democracy and screw screw the president. There's still gonna be people that follow him. Whereas if the king makes a bad decision and he destroys half of his kingdom, <laughs> you're gonna have a whole lot of pissed off people, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That that are gonna destroy him. And ultimately. Uh, I said it again, uh, as you shrink the area in which, uh, or decentralize the area in which people control, the more um, individual responsibility and the more um, responsibility the owner or the king or what have you can be held to, right? Because that person is ultimately more um, valuable. Uh, whereas the more people you import into a centralized order, the less value you retain to the, the leaders at that time, right? This is why I believe in the smallest units we can get, because if we, if we have larger and larger units, and this is why globalism is terrible because you end up with, uh, you, know, you end up with the devaluation of human life. Hmm. I, I put out a poll the other day on Twitter and I'm, I'm not so wise to on this issue, but <clears throat> uh, there's a quote from, uh, C.S. Lewis about it's better to have a king, better have a dictator who is selfish and wants to basically only care about himself. You could satiate his desires. Mm -hmm. While if you have a king who actually cares about you, wants what's good for you, he's never going to rest. Yeah, and I don't. I, I I'm torn because on one hand, like a king who cares about you and cares about his people and his survival might make better decisions than say a Robert Baratheon. You know, yeah, Robert Baratheon, you could easily just satiate by giving them more beer, you know, and more yeah. more whores. Yeah, so I, I really. What's one? What's one do you think is better? A king who has to kill by the people and one that's best for them, or a king who can satiate and get you to leave you alone faster? So two things. I think it depends on the person. One, mm -hmm. and two. I think it depends also on the size or area in which they control. I think that the larger, um, like if it's a global king, like let's say for instance, that person who's going to never rest is going to ultimately end up making bad decisions. It's going to affect everyone. Whereas if you have smaller decentralized Kings and decentralized orders, one King that cares about his people may make great decisions that are decisions that he feel are necessary. Um, and as a result, you have um, better decisions that are being made <laughs> now. I, I, so I guess I would say if, uh, if the King is stupid and over our, uh, like basically you can satiate him by giving him, you know, feasts and circuses and stuff like that at a larger scale, that's better. But at a smaller scale, I think a King that cares about his people is better. Mm. I, I, I get to see that. I, I kind of agree with that. That's like, if you're talking about like a male, you know, if a male is an absolute dictator of his small city, 
him, him caring about his people's, you know, habits and going to church and that kind of stuff. Exactly. That's, that's, that wouldn't be so bad. Cause he probably be like, Hey man, I didn't see a church. What's going on? Mm-hmm. But a guy who like, who can't do that and has to mandate other people do it to uh, like soldiers checking on people. That's not good at all. So, right. Exactly. Okay. Great. Um, We've already talked about borders a little bit, so I was, uh, let's get past that. Let's talk about secession, because Hoppe has a whole chapter on secession. Oh, yeah. He talks a lot and, about secession. And actually, I um, I, I don't disagree with Hoppe about secession at all. I think uh, his his uh, insight is brilliant. The only thing I would say is that I actually think that uh, we can achieve secession in different levels. Um, Hoppe obviously wants to start at... Um, the, the lowest level possible and then expand out from there and, and do what you can to create this kind of decentralized um, uh, dissolution, I guess. Or I would say uh, we can, and, and that to me is probably the most efficient use of resources. Mm-hmm. However, I don't see any problem with supporting things like Texit or uh, CalExit or things like that. I have no problem with that at all because I think that if any of those things can work, like if, if Texit were to happen, you would ultimately see a, uh, said it again, um, you, would, you, you would see a, uh, an evident hypocrisy if, te- if uh, Texans were to say, um, I need to separate and now this county is its own country. Texas has become too far left. You know, I'm going to create my, that, that kind of yeah. evident hypocrisy would, would be, a, uh, a problem for the the quote unquote state of Texas, right? So mm-hmm. I, I think that those things are fine, and I think that uh, I, I don't even know that Hoppe would disagree with me, but he takes a different approach, and I think his approach ultimately is um, a much better way to uh, approach the whole situation. And this is why I kind of I kind of oppose the uh, Free State Project. Um, I think that it's a, a bad idea in some ways to centralize all of our, all the libertarians, right? Because then what what have you done? You've created a target, right? And, you know, you're saying, look at all these crazy libertarians in this one place. You've made yourself, you've made yourself um, uh, the, the Ruby Ridge of, uh, of states, right? And they're going to come after you. So if you create, if you, if you focus on these things, like kind of like uh, sleeper cells, like terrorist sleeper cells, right. Mm-hmm. And you do it all across the country in these little areas, then it's going to be much harder to suppress and put down than an entire state saying, you know, we're doing our own thing. Screw you. Yeah. So, so I get that from that perspective. And I agree with Hoppe completely um, that uh, starting at the decentralized local level is definitely a, a better a better avenue and local politics itself is much easier to get into and, and influence yeah. and things like that. So uh, speaking of local politics, uh, go join the ZOP Mises caucus from and from Andrew at Poppy Liberty and follow. So Bissop. Yeah, de- definitely. Those guys are great. So uh, has both done, come, they're both coming on the podcast and I'm so excited. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. So, so, uh, really, um, for a long time there, I was, was pretty black pilled about um, about libertarians in the political space because mm. there were so many people that were uh, you know repeating that tired old phrase that voting is you know voting is aggression and you can't you can't mm-hmm. vote if you vote or participate in politics you're evil and blah 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 yeah. you know I, that and it was it was huge for a long time that was very much um, that was very much the standard libertarian take which is crazy mm-hmm. to me because that was that's never been um, 
That's never been a Mises thing. That's never been uh Rothbard thing. thing. Yeah, what Spooner? I mean, yes, yeah, like the OG. I I consider Spooner like the OG archetype of like pure principled libertarianism. Yep. I don't always agree with him, but he's he's always. You want the consistent like Azarkis on Twitter. If you want the consistent principled answer, you would ace. You know, you may you might you might not get the solution, but you're gonna get the principled answer. Yeah, and I think that, you know, Spooner, I think uh, page, I think it was page nine of No Treason, he says, you know, if you're conscripted into a war um, and you're forced to fight, you're, you're not, you're not, you're not, uh, you're, you're not uh, committing aggression to, to do, you know, to, to fight the fight that you've been put into, right? Because you're going to get killed one way or another. The state's yeah. playing you as a puppet. You might as well try and use the state against itself, right? So in self-defense, and I think it's totally reasonable to do that. Yeah. Um, I'm all for using the state against itself. One of my big points I've been trying to hop on lately is everyone to go to universities because they're indoctrination centers and they should become professors and replace professors that already exist. Because soon the state's gonna, the government's gonna start paying for everyone's, um, everyone's student loans and everyone's school. Mm-hmm. If you can use the state to fund its own destruction, because you're gonna hijack the universities that indoctrinate people. That, like that's why I love Thomas Lorenzo. He walked to the university. You know, he taught he taught a class that was counter. Like they would find out what the left other teachers would teach it, and he would teach counter that. Yeah, I, I mean, this is the strategy that the left took: the long march through the institutions. I mean, yes. the, the, this is why I say that you know, you we can learn a lot from um, the, a lot of these leftist strategists. Um, I that's think what I hate most about the left: they win. Yeah, exactly. They they're really really good at it. I mean, they they they've won it every single turn. Um, and if we don't learn from them and we don't learn how to fight back, we're going to keep losing and we're going to lose big. So yeah, let, let's infiltrate the institutions. Let's use politics as much as we can. Let's, let's do the things that we need to do. Let's promote secession. Let's promote division. Let's promote, um, hate is great. uh, Yeah, that, that is, that is my phrase, man. Like hate hate is great. Um, if we can promote the fact that, we're all different and we we hate each other and we despise each other and we can't live together. The more and more people will begin to realize and believe that and we'll end up separating along some lines, political, uh, economic, racial, what have you. Eventually, people are going to break away. And that's great. I, I mean, yeah. if we can force that division, you know, then then we've won. So this is why the left continually wins because their whole thing is centralization. So what do they do? They create all these disparate groups. And I've talked about this a little bit before, but basically they create all these disparate groups and then they house them under the umbrella of intersectionality. Right? So what, what happens when you have different groups, economically speaking, you you broke out for a minute and I missed the last little bit of that. Can you repeat a little bit? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So, so the left creates all of these distinct, um, I guess, protected groups, right? And it keeps creating more and more of them. It, it, it started with the, the the race thing and then it, it morphed into um, the sexual thing and it keeps growing. And then the disability thing and the disease thing and blah, 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 blah. And they keep expanding and expanding these disparate groups. But what they've done, and very smartly so, is housed them all under the umbrella of intersectionality, right? I'm a trans disabled black, you know, what, what have you, right? So that this umbrella center uh, of, uh, of intersectionality has given them the tool and the ability to say, here is our power structure, right? That power structure is large and diverse and it has a very wide base. And I look at 
the the quote unquote groups that you have there as a as kind of a zero sum or at least the right has classically right but but the the left doesn't look at it like that they they can create new groups out of anything you know like oh you've got a large nose or you've got uh you know you know blonde hair or you've got uh you're missing an arm or what have you mm-hmm. and the more groups that they can create the more power they can control and the more that they can take away from our side because if they can give special privileges to these people, they can bring them into their side, right? Like if you're a straight white male, you're you're on the out, but that's it. That's it. That's the only group that's on the out. That's the evil group, right? So if they can take every single other person, you're, you know, you're Asian, you're black, you're Hispanic, you're Latinx or Latinx or whatever you call that. I, I don't even know how to pronounce well, it. The best, the best one is China X. <laughs> I haven't heard that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that was a 4chan troll, but they got some people saying it on Twitter, and it's the greatest thing I've ever seen. They're going around saying, we have to protect the China X population. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, I mean, like, like, this is this is what the left does, and I think that, that uh, you know, we're going the opposite direction, so we don't need that kind of centralization. Uh, we need to break those groups apart, and, you know... It, there are different strategies and things, how we can approach that, but we can also use that against them, right? We can say, look at all these disparate groups. Wouldn't it be great if they were all separate so they don't have to conflict anymore, right? Like that these are the these are the types of things. This is why we can learn from the left and we can look at the left as as brilliant strategists in the way that they do things, um, because ultimately they are and they keep winning. Um and this is why I kind of look at a lot of Republicans and, you know, obviously many libertarians do as well, that they're they're uh, they're fighting a losing battle because they're they're not going to the other end. The, the left has yeah. won the the pull of the Overton window. Right. The, the Overton window how- is so far left now that moderates are, are communists. You know, well, you want an example of this, like uh, the left side of the right side of the side of losing and trying to like, become better and adopt the left. Pedro Gonzalez, one of those new conservative guys, has a piece and article and arguments for why a conservative should support a $15 minimum wage. Oh, God. Yeah, I know. And he's like one of the main guys on the right now. And it's yeah, like, yeah. Pedro is a um, he's a smart guy in regards to everything but economics. And mm-hmm. I think that we can easily come at him from the right on economics. And I think that uh, that's what we need to do is to say, hey, okay, that's great. You're it's so wonderful that you have leftist opinions and that you're you're advocating for something that's going to end up hurting a lot more people and people are going to lose jobs and they're going to they're going to lose their position. And why do you hate the working class and blah, 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 you know? Yeah. Let's talk, let's talk about conservatives for a bit. Um, when it comes to old, older conservatives, uh, do you, do, what's one of the ones that are actually worth reading? Because obviously it's not Buck. Obviously it's not Buckley. But what about like people like Cook? Is what's a Cook worth reading? What about Buchanan? Like, how do you determine who who are the good right wingers you can learn from and read? So on- Paul Paul Gottfried, go read Paul mm-hmm. Gottfried. Paul Gottfried is great. Um, uh, Buchanan, yeah, I think he has some really great great takes. I think that uh, I think it was it Death of the West. Is that him or was that someone else? Uh, I can't Burnham. remember. That was uh, or, that was Burnham. No, yeah. Su- no, was he Suicide West or Death of the West? I, I don't remember. What, whatever book he wrote about the West. That was yeah. a great book. I, I have it somewhere. I just haven't read it in a long time. Um, and, and uh, you know, you, you can read people like that. You can read, um, like I said, Paul Gottfried. And uh, Hoppe recently introduced me to somebody that I think is really great, which is uh, Holler. 
Um, if you haven't heard of him, uh, there was a, a retweet that I did of a guy that did a, uh, a biography background on him. Uh, Hoppe is doing a PFS speech or already did a PFS speech this year about him, uh, Carl Holler. And um, yeah, I, I think that if you, if you read, you know, Gottfried and uh, Holler, and if you go back further into the classical tradition of, uh, of the right, um, you're going to find a lot more. Hell, I, you know, I don't even see anything like, obviously there's objectionable people or objectionable presidents, but uh, if you look at like Taft, right? Like Taft to me is a much better example of what a right winger should have been back in the day than, you know, uh, Lincoln, you know what I mean? And Lincoln's further back, right? Like I, I think that, I think that there is, de yeah, death of the West is Buchanan, suicide of the West is Burnham. Okay, there go, there go. cool. Um, thanks for that. God of Wards. Both, um, both books I said, I said, be, uh, I said, read. Yes. Both, both of those books are great. Um, I, you know, I, and I think that, um, investigating and reading some people that are on, uh, what people would think as off, uh, off limits is good as well. Charles Murray, um, the bell curve. I think people should read that book. I think it's a good book and people should read it. Um, People will yell at me for this, but and I don't really care. I think Jared Taylor is a very smart dude. I think that people, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he has my favorite uh, thing ever said in all of human history. When someone called him a racist hillbilly, he said, "I live in Iowa. There are no hills to Billy in." <laughs> like that is the that is just the greatest thing ever said in all of human history. Like everyone's gonna stop talking now. Oh, I, I I didn't know that. That's hilarious. Um, you know, you know, and I have, I have a lot of respect for those guys. I may not agree with everything they have to say, mm -hmm. but I have a lot of respect for them because they hold the line. And I yeah. think that, um, you know, th there's a lot to be said about a man that will hold to his principles and hold to what he believes, no matter what threats he gets. And, and Taylor is, um, he's dealt with a lot of crap. I mean, people come into his home and, and people, you know, uh, assaulting him in public and, you know, like mm -hmm. it, it, it's crazy. Um, yeah. But yeah, I do think that there's a lot of historical um, people, especially that we can learn from on the right. And, you know, there's people that, you know, aren't, uh, that wouldn't necessarily be considered right that we can learn from too. And I think that um, you have like uh uh, what's his name? Uh, I'm trying to remember. I can't remember. There, there was a, there was another author that I wanted to talk about, but I've lost it. That's what happens. I have a goldfish memory. It's all good. Um, what about new guys, new conservatives that are on the scene? Like, uh, what about Nick Fuentes, for example? Because he's a weird one. I can't nail down on anything. Yeah. He's so it's. The way that I feel is that no matter how much someone professes that they're on the right, if they don't have a good understanding of what being right wing is, they will eventually become left wing. And I think that his opinions are drifting more in that direction than they were previously. And I, I think that he's been a, a, a great, um, I guess proselytizer of, of being right wing and pushing back against the left. I think that, mm -hmm. uh, that, that, uh, the mass media has had a hard time destroying him and that's wonderful. Do, do I think that he's a well-read person that you should take your opinions from? No, I don't. Um, but, uh, but it's fun. 
but he's yeah, not. but he's fun. Yeah, and th- and that's fine as long as as long as people realize that, right? Like, mm-hmm. go. You have to. You can you can enjoy personalities, and you can also read the theory and understand it. And those two things rarely coincide, right? I think that uh, more often than not, that a lot of newer conservatives are people that are trained by the last generation that was a joke. And you're going to find like, look at Charlie Kirk. I mean, like, um, yeah, it's terrible. No, no, I actually, I will, I, I tolerate Charlie Kirk because he argued with Michael Noah was saying, if you're going to, you say, you're going to believe in a small state, you have to be against the death penalty. And he, like, he preferred English common law to American law. Yeah. So I at least give him a little bit, but Michael knows is, is the fucking worst. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. He, I, Matt Walsh is a weird one. Matt Walsh is a weird one. He is definitely like, he, a weird one. He's not intellectual, like and well read, mm-hmm. but he like pro success in doesn't want to live with these people, speaks like an everyday Joe. Yeah. But he also was like really against like, he wants to ban porn and ban adultery, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. So it's like he is a theocratic fascist in some sense. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and you know, I think that there's I, I think that allying with people like Matt Walsh is fine. I think that ultimately they're gonna come our direction. Or they're going to leave and they're going to separate. And I'm fine with that, right? It, it, the, the people that I have no use for are the conservatives who don't believe in separation as an even an ultimate goal, right? Or, or even an option. Like those people are not our friends. Like I don't care what their positions are. If they do not believe in separation, they are not our friends. They're leftists. Yeah. That was uh, one of the big like, serving points. So I was like going into the libertarian route. route. I was like, oh, I can be somewhat libertarian. I'm still going to read like these right wing guys and stuff. I've kind of gone back to that full circle, but I know what guys are actually right wing now. And it was uh, Ben Shapiro's How to Destroy America and Treat Easy Steps. Basically, the entire book is how like anti success and nonsense. Like, it's all like, we can't let America separate. They want to destroy us. And it's like, yes, destroy it. <laughs> Cast it into <laughs> yeah. the fire. Yeah. Cast it into the fire and burn. I have a signed copy of that book. Really? That's awesome. Yeah. I, I got a signed I, my signed copy of the collection is weird. I have a signed copy from Yvonne Brook, signed copy from Ben Spiro, Son Hannity, and Murray Rothbard. Oh man, <laughs> that, yeah. that that is a variety. <laughs> yeah, I, I I stole the Hannity one from my uh, like it was a uh, you know there's book things like leave, leave a book take a book. I just took it. I didn't leave a book. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the, the rights, all the good all the good conversations are happening on the right, and that's what the actually I want to talk about was um. Ayn Rand. I'm a huge fan of Ayn Rand and objectivism and that whole virtuous surfaces kind of thing. I can't place her. Well, she seems more right wing than left wing. Yeah, but yes. but she's also has these weird and idiosyncrasies. I'm like, you don't sound like a conservative or a libertarian or anyone on the right at all. Yeah, no, I I don't consider Ayn Rand a, a libertarian in the hoppy and a rough bardian sense. I think that. Uh, I don't even know if I would like she, she created her own thing, right? She, she believed in objectivism. Right. And yeah. you know, if there's one thing that I hate her for, it's that uh, introducing the concept or the dichotomy of individualism and collectivism. I don't like that dichotomy. I think that it's a, it's a false dichotomy in that uh, I think libertarians lean on that a little too much. And they say, you know, anything that, you know, if you, if you don't, if you don't believe in the individual in all cases for everything, then you're a collectivist and you're evil and blah, blah, blah. Like people can't believe in their families and their, their communities and things like that. I hate that. That being said, I think that she brings a lot to the table in the realm of, 
of helping people break free of this leftist notion that self-improvement and um, the producers in our world are evil. I hate that notion. Uh, you know, the, given they, there they, are, yeah, 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 that's, exactly. That's and, and I'm, I'm fine with that. I, I like the idea of a natural elite. <laughs> However, I think that the elite quote unquote ruling elite today as, as Rothbard would call them is, um, is, kind of a they're not the natural elite obviously they're no. they're a false elite um and this is of course created through egalitarianism and artificial hierarchies and things like that you get this false ruling elite and as a result um you, you know you can't idealize these people and i don't think that the idea of atlas with the world on his back is extremely relevant today um yeah. i think that uh, those people are very much um, not, not the Atlas we need, if that makes sense. Oh, no. God of Lords just commented, uh, a little too much. Most libertarians can't see anything but more collectors and more individual. Don't forget my roads. They see there's only three things they can see. What did he say? A little too, a, a little too much. Most libertarians can't see anything else, but, oh yeah, for sure. I, I, I and I hate that. I think it's a, um, I think it's, it's a time. crutch. It's a it's a yeah. it's a crutch. Like if, if I can apply everything through this this dich this dichotomic filter of of mm -hmm. individual and collective, then I can make decisions on everything. But that's not what libertarianism is. Yeah. Libertarianism is about property rights, and um, I, I think that. And I, I will eventually one day. I've talked about this in a lot of podcasts. Release a book about uh, the nature of order and. Um, and how uh, libertarianism, in my mind, is the furthest thing right that you can get, and how yeah. um, ultimately uh, any any um, any view that would conflict with that is ultimately a form of leftism. But we we kind of covered that already. Yeah. Um. One thing that Hopper to talk about now. I'm a little bit in this book, but many other books. Uh, argumentation ethics, and oh, yeah. I am a fan of argumentation ethics. I think it's fun. I think it's uh, great. I think it bridges the is off gap, which I always find stupid as hell. I oh, always, yeah. I always, is off gap is so stupid to me. It's so, it's like you can't derive more statements from is statement. It's like, yeah, I, I think you can. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, it's like, um, I, I, old joke I had joke about with my friend is like, you could stay in is fact, like the road's gonna end up on the uh, road's gonna run into a cliff in a, a couple of miles. And the moral argument is you should not run into a cliff. Just so far as bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's, a, he's a stupid. Yeah. But I yeah. will say, I, I have a little issue with it. But uh, I don't think it's it's smart. It's use. It's I don't think it's useful. I think you're more like if you really want to talk to the right about paleo stuff about uh, and paleo stuff. I I don't think it serves a purpose because somebody in the right is much more natural rights and they believe in um they believe in natural law. And I think you make Murray Rothbard's arguments better with natural law because they believe in that instead of having to introduce a new argument because they don't really care about. I think it's a great argument for someone who's more of the left. I just don't see it being useful for anyone to write when you have Murray Rothbard's natural law arguments. I, I, I understand that perspective. What what I would say is, though, is I think that argumentation ethics flows perfectly with um, the understanding that uh, that uh, God created us. I think that uh, mm -hmm. you can you can synthesize those arguments very easily by saying, you know, get, you know, God, God created us. <laughs> And as a result, we we own ourselves because he endowed us with uh, the ownership in our own bodies, right? And mm -hmm. as a result, how do you prove that? 
Well, I, you know, I can prove that through argumentation ethics and, you know, the, the law of non-contradiction. And as a result, I've proven that I own myself. And therefore, where do I get that? I get that from God. So I think that you can, you can synthesize those arguments pretty well. Not that I disagree that uh, the, the natural rights arguments don't, don't uh, provide with, provide you with a good place to, I guess, uh, uh, coincide with a lot of more classic conservatism. I think that it can definitely be a good bridge or a good gap for that. And and Murray was great with that. I mean, like if, if you look at um, uh, like a, what what was that? The ethics of Liberty. I mean, the yeah, ethics. That's, of, that's the one I got signed. I got an old. Yeah, oh, uh, nice. Ethics of Liberty sign. I did not know it was signed when I bought it. I bought it at a used bookstore, and I opened it up. I'm like, oh, I gotta get this. <laughs> <laughs> that's mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's awesome. But yeah, like, um, you know, the ethics of liberty was originally conceived to to my memory as a as that original stepping off point of the synthesis of the right and libertarian thought. And that uh, Murray Rothbard was evolving that that uh, that that uh, tradition of, of being right wing. And it morphed from that into being its own kind of um, its own kind of philosophy and things like that because of the the neocons. I think that yeah. um, libertarianism, yeah, I think the libertarianism would have benefited a lot more um, going down that path. I think we would have gotten to the same point, but I think that we would have gotten there without all the confusion of the leftism that uh, early Murray Rothbard entered up introducing and then later realizing that he had made a mistake. Um, I, I think that we would have definitely um, gotten to where we are a lot faster and we would ultimately had a, a lot better time of uh, uh, approaching these right wing topics, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the elites for a little bit. Cause I am an, I'm an elitist. I like elites. I Everybody like should. Elites. Everyone should. If you don't like elites, cause you don't think you can, if you don't like elites, it's cause you don't think you can be one. That's my view. Yeah. Um, my, one of the big things I mean, I really learned when I started going on the libertarian route was the whole elites justify the state to a lot of people. The, like, even if they don't directly listen to them, the elites are the ones that the, the arguments get boiled down. Social contract, divine right of kings. You know, these are people won't know these arguments, but they'll state them like the facts. They've been boiled down from the elites. And it's in the elite. Why do you think it's, why do you think it's in the elites' interest? Because this is something I can never really figure it out. I was like, why are the elites so interested, do you think, in having the state around? Well, because the the false elites that we have today are incentivized to do so. Um, that there, there is very much the merger of uh, the elites that are currently existing and and the state. Uh, whereas pre-state, or uh, as we were talking about before in the feudal system, those elites were um, not necessarily a merger of those things. And I think that you're going to find more often than not that. <laughs> Um, the state ends up creating its own false elites. So if, if you look at the um, if you look at the, um, the the very easiest thing to point out uh, to, to confirm this is like if you look at uh, the former CEOs of large companies, right? Where do they go when they're done being CEOs? They go into the regulatory sphere for those same for those same areas of, of business right and then where do the where do the former regulatory heads go when they're out of government they go into the private sphere as to head those companies as ceos and this is where you get a lot of um 
you get a lot of false decisions that are made, right? Like mm-hmm. you, the the CEO of Boeing goes and becomes the head of the FAA, and all of a sudden he's making laws about the fact that you can't do plane sharing, like like ride sharing for Uber anymore, right? Of course, because what what does that do? It enriches him and it enriches all of his buddies. And then when he gets out of that, maybe he'll go to work for Lockheed or something like that, right? So. It, you know, this is why this is why ultimately the, a lot of the the, the modern uh, ruling elite uh, love the state because it helps enrich them and it helps enrich their friends and it helps them maintain control. Right. Whereas mm-hmm. if that if the state didn't exist, they wouldn't be able to do that and they'd have to compete and there would be a, a different uh, era of elites that existed. Right. Because you wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Uh, these airline industries or the banking industry or things like that get bailed out all the time, they would fail. And then ultimately you'd have uh, better people that show up and take control. And those people would become the natural police. Hmm. What are some benefits of monarchy that we could implement? You know, like for example, term limits, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big believer we should get rid of term, term limits because the best way to control a partisan is to kick them out of office. So I would, I would actually take the opposite on that. I think we should make uh, politician terms permanent. I think we should make, uh, we should remove all, um, all ability for them to be removed from their position uh, in totality, because then they're going to have to make decisions that will uh, make them responsible. Um, and they're going to have a yeah, lot yeah, harder yeah. time. You, I, I stayed an already very right wing position. and you, you take it a step further. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think that, you know, I, I, I had that same position. I was like, yeah, kick these people out. It's ridiculous for, for Pelosi to be in there for years. But actually, um, she would end up being um, a lot more, um, I guess, responsible to the people that she supposedly represents because she's going to get a lot more death threats. And she's yeah. going to get a lot more um, people that want her removed. And uh, she's going to have to think long term because she can't leave. She's yeah. a permanent politician, right? So um, she she's going to end up having to make decisions. She's not going to be able to make her million dollars on a book deal or whatever and then go off to a private island where nobody can get to her. She's going to have to go back to L.A. and live there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's that that's what I think. Yeah. I think it's that. So the goal would really be to find a way to return accountability to politics. Kind of. I, it, as a strategy, maybe. Um, I, I would prefer I, w- I would prefer us just to leave. I, I, at the end I of the day, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I think that our energy is as best focused on doing um, local politics, uh, creating uh, PACs, political action. Um, uh, committees and things like that, political action, mm-hmm. political action funds, and uh, trying to make people more divisive. I think that libertarians should be the guys out there that are like, uh, we're not the guys in the middle of the group selling bats. We're the guys behind each of the groups that are telling the other group they hate you because you're white or they hate you because mm-hmm. you're black or they hate you because you're mm-hmm. trans or whatever. We should be those people. We should be I the mean- ones that are stoking fires. And um, you'll find a lot in history that anarchists very much do that. And we should re we should re embrace that. Mm-hmm. I agree. One thing I, I like to do, because I on Facebook, only people on Facebook are my family that is, I just don't troll. Um, and all my family, they'll, they'll go off about it, like, oh, minimum wage is so bad. And I'm like, you, this is what you wanted. You want democracy. You got minimum wage laws. You know, yep. like yep. this is this. Every time, like every time someone complains about any uh, government decision, I bring up you, 
go for it. You want a democracy. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, if you're, um, <laughs> if you're in favor of democracy, you're going to be, uh, ultimately the one that, uh, pays the price for it. Uh, you're, you're, you're sowing the seeds of your own destruction. Uh, one, one of the guys in the ch chat said, what do you think of BAP? And, uh, I think a uh, Bronze Age guy is pretty smart. I think that uh, it, he has some opinions that may not necessarily be obvious. And he has, I don't want to say ulterior motives, but uh, there's definitely subtext to a lot of the things that he says. So worth reading. Uh, uh, also, shout out to Jim, James Robinson in the chat. He's a guy I've known for a very, very long time. He's a great guy. Very nice. What was your biggest takeaway from democracy to God that failed? Uh, definitely that uh, we <laughs> that secession is definitely needed and necessary, and we need to approach that as a strategy. Um, that uh, democracy it, it made me reading democracy the God that failed pushed me into um, into reading other Hoppe works. So mm. uh, learning things about, especially short history of man, I've been on a kick about talking about short history of man. If you haven't read I that. I did a podcast on it uh, two days ago with Matt Erickson. It's a, it's a wonderful book. Really it, good. People, people need to go and read that book. It may, it'll make you understand um, not only, it not only supports Hoppe's argument about secession, it shows why it's eminently necessary and why it's part of humanity. Um, mm -hmm. That the separation of people is what creates who we are. Uh, it, it, uh, it brought us out of the Malthusian trap and it, uh, it saved us. It saved us from destruction. I think that, uh, that, that to me is, is one of the, the best things that democracy, the God that failed gave me was a, was a love for Hoppe's work and reading more of it. But, uh, the, did you read this one first or what, what was the first Hoppe book? Uh, democracy, the God that failed was my first Hoppe wow. book. This is my fourth one. I think. Yeah. Fourth one. I saw, I started with a serious socialism and capitalism. That's a great book. That's a uh, uh, Taylor Shiring. Uh, he works for the site with me. Uh, that's, that's his, I think that that's his favorite Hoppe book. So mm -hmm. it's a great book. I love it too. I, I like the economic, the economics and ethics of private property too. I think that that that's will give you, gonna, we'll it gives down. you a love and appreciation for private property that yeah, you, mm -hmm. uh, it, even if you say you're a libertarian and you love private property, that book will give you a love and appreciation for private property that you never knew you had. Um, I actually haven't read Hoppe's latest book, which is economy, society, and history. Oh, I, I've got to read it. I just haven't had time. Have you read that one yet? I have. It's in my shopping list. It's a, uh, I, 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 I uh, books right now. Um, I, and I know I like literally the backlog and people are like, you got to read this. And I'm like, all right, I'll add it to my, I'll add it to my shopping mm -hmm. list. I'll get to it in three years. <laughs> yeah, well, this is this is why I I, I I don't want to, but I'm probably gonna take a break from podcasting for all of like November just to read more books. So I, I'm almost caught up on the books I've read, and mm -hmm. it's like if I want to do all these next months of like I want to do a whole month of Rothbard books and go through like a lot of his work, I mm -hmm. actually need to finish reading these books. You know? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And and you know, more power to you because there's there's a lot of libertarians out there who will read. You know, like they'll read one book, they'll read. Um, the uh, anatomy of the state and they'll be like, all right, I'm a libertarian. I'm done reading. I don't need to read anymore. I'll get the rest of my information from Facebook. And it gets, it's so tiring. It's yeah. so, so tiring to encounter those people because they, they just, they don't get it. They, they think they do and they just don't. Yeah. Yeah. What order would you say, what order do people read the Hans Hermann Hopper books in? So 
I think it depends on whether where you're coming from. I think if you're a conservative, um, you should read Getting Libertarianism Right. Um, get read that book first. It's a great intro. It will make you understand. Um, yeah, the never-ending reading list. Yeah, hundred percent. It'll 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 bring you over to our side. Hundred percent. I I really believe that. Then read Democracy: The God That Failed. Then um, Short History of Man. Then uh, either it's a toss-up between Economics and Ethics of Private Property, or, or a Theory of Socialism and Capitalism. Um, and when I read Economy, Society, and History, that may go in there somewhere. If you're if you're more in the middle. I would probably recommend starting off with a theory of socialism and capitalism. I think that that's a, that's a good way to, to get into this from that perspective and then go through economics, uh, the economics and ethics of private property, then democracy, the God that failed, and then going on to short history, man, and getting libertarianism, right? I think that that's a better order. If you're more in the middle, if you're on the left, there's no hope. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, hope. <laughs> no, it's no. Um, I don't, if you want to let, I don't want you reading hop up. You know, that's my yeah. view. That's like I'm. I had a, I had a, I either like um, books are better than podcasts because there's a barrier of entry because not a lot of people are gonna read books. Yep. Very very true. Sure. Okay, well we're running out of time. Um, I always ask guests this question before we kind of hop off the podcast because uh, it's a Catholic uh, podcast. What's your history with religion? Are you a uh, atheist, religious? What's uh? So what you wanted to say, oh? uh, yeah. So like I um. I was raised. Uh, I was raised Catholic. My dad was Catholic. My mom is Protestant. Um, I was agnostic for a very long time. I'm now reading uh, a book about uh, orthodoxy, and a good friend uh, who is Orthodox gave me an Orthodox study Bible, so I'm going through that. I've, I've kind of rediscovered um, religion from that perspective. I think that it's, especially with more more, more right wing views, it has. Uh, it reignited my uh, interest in that sphere. My wife, my wife is Orthodox too. So I think that nice. uh, that'll be, that it'll be interesting to see how I, where I come out. Hmm. That's in my notes. There's a lot of like libertarians or white wing people who are, you know, awesome are really going on the Eastern Orthodoxy route. Yeah. You know, like this is, I, don't, I can't figure out the connection because you would, I was, I was, part of me hopes it was Catholic, um, but they all go to more Platonist style, which is, I don't know. I can't figure out why that is. But I, I, I don't. I don't know the connection either. But I've noticed that too. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe the Lord of Spirits podcast is so good. That might be <laughs> it. Yeah. Well, Jared uh, has been a lot of fun. Uh, we covered a lot of topics. I just don't remember what I do. I have a book. I have a book that started a conversation. And it kind of goes everywhere. Um, where can people find you at? Where can they find more Hopper stuff? So, if you want to read. Uh, more Hoppa and find out more about Hoppa, go to HansHoppa.com. Uh, it's Hoppa's website. You can find everything there. Go to PFS, go to Property and Freedom Society website. Uh, find them on YouTube. Read all of that. If you, his lectures are great. His lectures are amazing. Go and listen to them. I mean, if, you, if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to PFS um, lectures, go and listen to them. After you're done with that, come visit our website, Hopping.org. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at the Hoppian. Uh, we're on all the social media sites. We're on Instagram and Facebook and, you know, what have you and whatever. And then uh, after you've done all that, then maybe you can follow me. My name's on the screen at in democracy. And uh, hopefully I haven't blocked you because I block a lot of people. So <laughs> you blocked my friend Jacob and he's weeing about it a little bit. <laughs> he's, he's a good dude, but he is 
autistic as shit. There's no <laughs> way to put it. I love him. He's one of my, he's one of my I love the guy. He's a great friend. But he gets a little a little autistic by the Mises caucus. Yeah, yeah. I I I I block a lot of people. I've got eighty thousand people blocked. So it, it's I thought I had a high number to eighty one. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I subscribed to a block list back in the day and that gave me quite a few, but now I just like after I after I got nixed the first time, it's like if I see anybody that is even remotely subtweeting me, is remotely leftist, is has opinions that I know that I'm gonna get into an autistic argument with, I'm just like it's not it's not uh, it's not worth my time. I'm I'm better off proselytizing. I'm here to spread a message, right? That's what I'm. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm here to do. I I, I don't yeah. care about these libertarian arguments and crap like that. Like yeah. I I want to bring more people to Hoppus. So that's what I'm about, and that's what I'm trying to do. So if you uh, if you guys want to find me, you can find me in Democracy. One more question because uh, I brought it up. Favorite Hopper lecture? Because to me, it's probably what Marcus got right. Like that's the one I really enjoyed. That's a great lecture. Um, people can learn a lot from that lecture. Uh, my my favorite would probably be right libertarianism as uh, realistic libertarianism. If you haven't read that, I haven't heard, I haven't heard that one yet. Or, yeah, if you if you haven't if you haven't listened to that or watched that video, go check it out. It's great. Hmm. Well, everybody, this has been another episode of the Catholic Libertarian Podcast. Uh, go weed more hopper and go donate money to the Mises Institute. Absolutely. Absolutely.